Welcome to Fearless Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 207, a level up review. Yeah, level up review. And as you guys can see, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, we are, we're in separate locations today. So uh, you know how it is this time of year, everyone's traveling and we're, we're all hustling really hard. And so uh, we wanted to make this episode happen. And so the only way we could really make it happen uh, was to do it in separate locations, which, you know, it's, uh, it's all right. It's, it's that season. I think everybody's used to, uh, especially in this COVID time, like everybody's used to like Zoom calls and like, it's a different world, right? Like even like, even like uh, TV shows, like uh, well, uh, they're, they're like doing it from home and like, it's like totally it's like used, used to and enjoying it are two different things. Like I might be used to it, but it doesn't mean I enjoy watching it. Like whenever I watch these shows, I'm like, I, I'm not a fan of the buffering. I'm not a fan of, of the, the bad webcams. Like I, I can't wait for everything to be back to normal, but we're doing this for multiple reasons, but we also have another change happening, right? Like for temporary at the moment. Yeah, so we're going to try, uh, as you guys know, typically our episodes drop Sunday and Wednesday. Uh, we're probably going to shift that to uh, Monday as our drop for kind of the level up or the interview. And then Thursday as our big um, our big episode of the week. So whether it's a themed episode or an update episode. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And we're obviously going into the holiday, holiday season. So uh, we have usually a week or two where we kind of have some highlight videos and some some recaps of bolos and stuff. So. Uh, we're kind of, uh, we, we did it weird where I think we did our, whatever our, uh, at our one year mark, whatever that point was, we made that like season two and then we've just never changed it from season you know, two. Funny, somebody uh, literally asked me like, what season are you guys in? I'm like, I guess we're still in season two. Yeah. We never, we never like really decided what a season really is. Cause we've never taken a break. Like a lot of times shows will do season and then they'll take like a month off and then they start back up for next season. Uh, we're, we've kind of just kept going this whole time. So it kind of seems like our rhythm is the the holiday time. So towards December, the end of the year, going into like the beginning part of January is like where things kind of slow down for a little bit. And then we kick it off hard at the start of the new year. So maybe that's kind of like the, the next season. We'll, yeah, so we'll, we'll go with that. It's also bear with us. We're kind of in a transition phase of like, you know, location and just, just a lot of just movement right in the middle of Q4. So uh, you know, we may be doing another mobile episode uh, coming up on our Thursday drop. So we'll be dropping episodes on Monday afternoon, evening and same thing on. Oh, I'm pretty sure Thursday we can crank it out uh, by our normal midnight time or sometime around there. But uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We appreciate you guys bearing with us. Our goal is to be consistent in content. And, yeah, we're going to have those two weeks where we have our special Bolo episode where we just sum up all our bolos and uh you know maybe another summation of of some of the best content throughout the year because there's been a lot of good stuff so and part of that good stuff is part two of this level up review book before we get there though hey i do want to say thank you to all of you that continually help our show uh by buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle that's buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle just when i think the support is done we get some more people that roll in and sign up for membership. So every single one of you that sign up definitely is helping us move along in the podcast and hopefully uh, bring more content in the future. Uh, even, you know, with helping us uh, in a transitional space, uh, finding, you know, maybe a new location or just other things to add to the podcast. So thank you again. Those of you who haven't signed up yet, it is buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle. All right, let's talk about grit. Great. So yeah, we are, 
we are doing the second part. Uh, so part two of three of Angela Duckworth's Grit. And uh, this is this has been a, a great book. I mean, obviously, our last discussion was good. Uh, we had a little bit of debate at one point, And part of that even goes into the end of this with the uh, uh, she kind of talks about another really popular book, which is uh, the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Uh, but I think grit is, is uh, this her TED talk. She actually talks about her TED talk. Her TED talk was one of the uh, first TED talks I'd ever watched. And it was a really, really impactful one. And I think that this idea of, of grittiness and what really causes success. And so if you're just tuning into this, maybe you didn't listen to the first part. Uh, kind of the idea of grit is trying to determine what makes somebody successful in life. Like there's a lot of uh, philosophies and ideas of what causes someone to be successful. And uh, Angela Duckworth has, has really broken it down to and, and brought it down to one key component, which she calls grit. And it is your a combination of passion and perseverance uh, that kind of uh, forces you or causes you or encourages you to keep going and, and be willing to fail be willing to keep uh, at it and not give up and to stick to something long enough to be successful. And so leading into part two, the very first chapter, chapter six, uh, talks about interest. And I thought this would be one that would be a uh, uh, really um, interesting to Orlando. Cause I know this is something you, you talk a lot about, right? Like having a passion or having an interest. Oh, I do. And for me, it's, it's, it's everything in the sense that yes, I, I you know, I've agreed with you over the last, few episodes uh we've talked about discipline how discipline is important and you know even when it comes to reselling like those that make it in reselling definitely take an interest and we'll talk about that a little bit because whatever you're doing like burnout is real and if it's not something you're passionate about you will burn out i mean sometimes we do things out of motivation but sometimes the motivation is powerful enough it's a purpose which we'll talk about in the next chapter that it's enough to drive us moving forward that even when the interest may wane, the purpose takes over and the purpose allows us to keep moving forward. But, uh, you know, I like what she says here. She talks about, you know, summing up uh, what interest looks like. She says on page 96, second page of the chapter, she says, one thing that comes up time and time again is I love what I do. People catch it differently. Quite often they just say that I love what I do. But they also say things like, I'm so lucky I, I get to get up every morning looking forward to work. I can't wait to get into the studio. I can't wait to get in with the next project. These people are doing things not because they have to or because it's financially lucrative. And then she leaves it open and with ellipses there. But the, the key idea here is the fact that she's very big that in order to have that passion, there needs to be some interest. Now, I do love her discussion about interest because... It's not like it's not like this whimsical, like I really like doing this. Like the first moment you, you notice it, you know, I am trying to turn off my volume on my phone and it still comes on. So we're going to persevere through this. It, it, it wasn't even a cha-ching. Like I get it if it's a cha-ching. <laughs> no, no. But hey, but this was this somebody sharing a hustle of the week. All right. Anyways, let's get back to our level up review here. So she talks about the fact that, you know, the, the reason that people have passion is because this is something they look forward to. It's something they, they, they go to bed sleeping about. They wake up thinking about it. It's something that drives them throughout the day. And if it's something that doesn't move you like that, you're going to have a very hard time persevering and moving forward in this grid. So, you know, she talks about the idea that follow your passion was not the message I heard growing up, which is 
I think it's very true about, I would say pretty much all, whoever was born in the eighties, nineties. I know we have some listeners that were born in the fifties, sixties and seventies. I think those of you that were born maybe in two thousands, you maybe heard more of the follow your passion. That's, that's a new thing. Uh, And especially since because of COVID, I think COVID uh, was a major game changer. I, I think COVID destroyed all assumptions about this is what you have to do to work because a lot of people, yes, ended up unemployed, but a lot of people ended up following their passions during that time. And now they're way better off than they were before when they're doing that terrible nine to five, they don't look forward to, they, they hated going to an office and now they did follow their passion and they're in a different place. Now, what what did you think about the, the idea of, I mean, talk to me when you read this, cause you, you always talk about, you know, and maybe I'm not trying to misinterpret you, but you talk about how discipline is more important than interest or passion. Did you find, am I misinterpreting you or did you find the same thing when you're reading through this chapter? No, I, I actually, I think, um, especially in the next chapter with, which is practice. Um, I, I think she reinforces the idea that I would, would hold to, which is discipline is going to be the most important part. Um, typically you're not going to be disciplined in something that you're, you, like you say, you don't have a certain amount of passion for, uh, but that passion could be different. Right. And, and again, another chapter talks about purpose. So your passion might not be, you know, whatever it is, the factory job you have, or, or, or even you, like I know for a fact, or, or maybe I'm, I'm, um, I'm assuming, but, but I don't think that like, it's, it's reselling itself. That is like the passion as far as like, I just want to like, to, to flip something. But I think it's, it's the passion of, I get to have freedom. I get to work on my own. I get all these opportunities. I get time with my family. I get to make my own schedule. So it isn't always necessarily like the thing that's passionate. Um, And I think going into the practice part, I can answer that a little bit better. But what I do did like about this, was she says, while it's naive to think that any of us would love every minute of what we do, I believe the thousands of data points in those meta analysis, which confirm the common sense uh, intuition that interest matters. And then she goes on to say, that said, I don't think most young people need encouragement to follow their passion. Most would do exactly that in a heartbeat if only they had a passion in the first place. I'll begin with the advice to foster a passion. Uh, And so this chapter, uh, most of it was kind of not even um, trying to encourage people like you have to, you have to follow Mm -hmm. your passion because like she said, like that's almost common sense to most people is yeah, of course that would be great. My life would be happier if I was passionate about what I was doing. The problem most people have is actually, but I don't know what I'm passionate about. And I've, I've noticed that. Uh, and so many people that I talk to is trying to find that thing. I mean, I've talked to, I mean, as a, a high school English teacher, I talk to students all the time. Like, well, what are you going to do in college? What do you want to be like? And, and a lot of times there was just this, like, I, I don't know. Right. And I think a lot of people have that feeling of, I don't know what I, I love. Uh, and what I like about this chapter is she spends um, uh, quite a bit of time kind of giving tips and suggestions of how to find that passion, how to, how to locate it. And it's not always going to be like something that's, that's that you know about right off the bat. It's not just gonna be like, I know for a fact I'm passionate about this, but she encourages people to almost to play and to dabble and to try different things and see for a while, for a few months to do something. Is this intriguing to you? Are you passionate about it? And, and you don't always know until you try it. It's not like every person's like, I'm super passionate about coding on computers, but maybe you have a project where you do that and it sparks some interest. And that interest is what kind of drives you and keeps you going. But uh, I like that there's a, uh, an idea. Uh, one thing she says too is, uh, but in fact, most uh, grit paragons 
I've interviewed told me they spent years exploring several different interests. And the one that eventually came to occupy all their waking and sometimes sleeping thoughts wasn't recognizably their life's destiny on first acquaintance. So it's not that, you know, the thing that you wanted to be as a kid or even uh, that you might be interested in right now might not be the thing that ends up being your life passion. But the only way you're going to know is by kind of dabbling and trying a lot of different things. So I really enjoyed this. And this is why, because I feel that reselling can be the vehicle for you to find that passion. Right. I like, you know, and we'll talk about this later on because, you know, I was in a career for 15 years that I still dearly love. I still teach once a week. I teach history. I love it. I look forward to it. You know, when, when she had mentioned on here, let me get to that page. She had talked about, you know, people that are unhappy and why they're unhappy. And this is earlier on in the chapter. And she says, she said, for instance, people who enjoy thinking about abstract ideas are not happy managing the minutia of logistically complicated projects. They'd rather be solving math problems. And people who really enjoy interacting with people are not happy when their job is to work alone at a computer all day. They're much better off in jobs like sales or teaching. And I think about reselling. If it was not for Purosa Podcast, I'm not sure I would enjoy reselling. Mm. Like I, I love, listen, don't get me wrong. I love the flip. I love the hunt. I love making the money, but I love the interaction with you. I love the interaction with our listeners uh, on the multiple platforms. I love the connection with other resellers. I mean, eBay open has been the highlight of my reselling time, not the major flip, not the several thousand dollar Toys R Us haul, not the, you know, the Harley haul here. It, it was eBay open. And how much money did we make at eBay open? Zero. <laughs> we made no money. Now, did we get a lot of perks? Yeah, eBay took care of us. But that was a highlight. The, the Pierce of Podcast meetup that we had, that was another highlight. Seeing all the amazing people uh, at that place, getting to know how the podcast impacted them, just hearing people and what they do. Like, that's what I th thrived in. That's what I loved. If I was just reselling with all those connected, I'm not sure, you know, this if this could be something that I would say, hey, I'm in it for the long term. But that's the beauty. That's why I always encourage those of you that are reselling and aren't on social media. Maybe, you know, it'll get you through those moments where, where you're struggling, like you don't like this or, you know, you, you, you're feeling bitter towards what you're doing. But when you connect with other people and you find solidarity, it can definitely help you out. And so I really enjoyed that. But what I wanted to say, that was just a side note, was I enjoyed her discussion about she talked on page 101. Chances are. And this is when people are trying to find what they like or what their interest was. Uh, they are they took quite some time figuring out exactly what they wanted to do with their lives. Commencement speakers um, may say about their vocation, I can't imagine doing anything else. But in fact, there was a time earlier in life when they could. So reselling for a lot of us is kind of like this, this bridge. Right. It's kind of like this, this, this holding pattern, right? For me, it's a holding pattern right now. I love what I do. I'd rather podcast every single day than resell. I mean, to be honest with you, but reselling is what's allowing me to figure out what do I really like? Right. I do love reselling. Don't get me wrong. I love reselling, but is, is reselling the end all for me? And, and that, that I don't know. I, I, I don't know where I'm at. I mean, you know, I, I had, I had a career. I, that career is not done. It's it's been modified, uh, but I think a lot of you that are listening, you're uh, my my. I shouldn't assume. I guess my conjectured guess is that a lot of you are reselling not because you feel that it's 
it's your lifelong ambition or, you, you know, this is how you're going to get rich or this is how you're going to, you know, take your life to the next level. You may be able to financially do that, but, you know, taking your life to the next level isn't all bound to money. And so you may be reselling and you're finding yourself going, huh, I don't I don't understand why I'm not liking this more. And maybe it's because it's not your interest. Now, it's your interest to pay the bills. It's in your interest to take care of your family. It's in your interest to, you know, take care of that vacation or that weekly date, uh, date night. But in the end, this may be a holding pattern. So think about that. Don't get your, don't get yourself down when you're reselling. And you're like, why am I not? Like, you know, there's some people that are on social media that this is the end all. Like, this is what they want to do. But you don't have to be like that because as entrepreneurs, and I hate using that word for myself, even though I guess that's what I am now, even though I don't see myself as that, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is is about, you know, biz, running businesses and finding that business that you want and running with it uh, when you get that opportunity to take it to the next level. I don't know if all that made sense. No, that's good. I mean, and that, that kind of goes the idea too. And when we get to, to purpose, I think that kind of shows like the purpose aspect of it. But I think entrepreneur is good, a good thing to talk about. Cause um, I was just thinking about uh, myself, like my wife and I have spent the last several days kind of planning out other business uh, strategies and ideas and, and like an, another business we want to start. And I was like, you know what? I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy reselling, uh, but I, I'm kind of passionate about like creating productive property and creating um, uh, that financial freedom and, and kind of the entrepreneurial spirit. And, and that is that I'm passionate about. Right. And so these other things are kind of tools or things that are, are allowing me to do that. And so, yeah, recognize that. And, and she kind of gives, I think a good three, a three step uh, process for kind of finding your passion. She says, uh, here's what the science has to say. Passion for your work is a little bit of discovery followed by a lot of development and then a lifetime of deepening. Okay. And so uh, you spend some time uh, doing the discovery, right? You're, you're kind of dabbling it. And she kind of talks, she uses a lot of examples of Bloom and his, uh, um, you know, studies with kids and, and how they kind of grow up in the stages of life. And um, a, a big part of what, what kids do when they're young is they play and they, they, they make mistakes and they kind of enjoy lots of different things. They're exploring the world around them. And as we get older, we start to lose that. And part of the reason we lose that is uh, sometimes we are uh, conditioned to think failure is bad. And so we stick to the things we're good at and we don't try lots of different things. But if we allow ourselves to do the discovery thing, hey, like I, I enjoy board games. And so I play some board games and then I spend some time like, hey, what if I tried to make a board game? Then I realize, yep, I don't like this at all. Uh, I like playing board games, but my career is not going to be making board games. I'm not passionate about that. Whereas somebody else might not even have the thought of uh, making board games. They play one, they're like, oh man, I like, you know, I could do something. And, and, and you never know what you're going to find, right? So you've got to try lots of different things, have lots of hobbies. And later she actually talks about um, the, the sticking to it. So um, she, she explains that people who are successful um, are, um, she says, I find that grittier individual is the, I find that the grittier an individual is, the fewer career changes they are likely to make. In contrast, we all know people who habitually throw themselves headlong into a new project, developing a fierce interest only to move on after three or four or five years to something entirely different. And that's kind of a long time, like in our day and age, to like devote five years to something, uh, which is kind of sad to say that. Yeah. But um, it says there seems no, uh, there's, there seems no harm in pursuing a variety of different hobbies, but endlessly dating new occupations and never settling down with just one 
is a more serious matter. So I think you got to take this, um, the idea of discovery in a little bit, right? Spend a little bit of time trying to find that passion. Then once you find something that you seem to have passion on, then you take up those next steps of a lot of development, which we're going to talk about when we get to practice. And then finally, a lifetime of deepening that passion and deepening the skills required to be successful in that. Yeah, no, I agree. Agreed. And and before we jump into practice, you know, just the very last line just sums it up. I mean, obviously, some of the way the book of work of book works, but <laughs> I, I like that line that she brings in. She says, in some, the directive to follow your passion is not bad advice. But what may even be more useful is to understand how passions are fostered in the first place. So basically, the idea of this chapter was it may not be the first thing that comes at you. Right. You may not even like what you're doing initially. It may take some time. Right. This is why, you know, I, I'm a big believer in five years before jumping ship on things. You know, I, I can tell you when I, you know, when I was in ministry, how many teachers I know after one year. I mean, I think the burnout rate's like 70 percent. I forget what the burnout rate is for teachers within the first year, but it's it's pretty bad. But once teachers get to year three, year five, most of the time they hold on to it as a pretty much a lifelong career. Right. They may pivot. They may jump into administration, but they're still into ed. And I think it's whatever you're doing, you know, you got to give it time because, you know, even with reselling, reselling is one of those things that you can burn out really fast. You can burn out within the first month. You can burn out in the first two years. Uh, even as a side hustle, you might burn out because, you know, you may have gone all in too fast and you may have tried everything and then you just didn't find success. And you're just like, ah, I don't want to try this anymore. But, you know, slow and steady, you develop interest, you develop, you know, what you like to sell, how you like to set up your schedule. Uh, and as we said on this podcast, uh, you know, we're not all about, hey, all of us need to be million dollar resellers uh, within a few years. You know, it's, it's OK. If you want to just do this on the side for the rest of your life, that's fine. If you want to just do this for three months in Q4 and then jump out and then jump back in two years later, that's fine too, because that is, that is the beauty of reselling is that you have that ability to jump in and out when you want. Uh, if you want to go full time, it's not an option, but you want to keep it aside. So news, whether you use reselling, we'll talk about this is reselling, you know, a job, is it a career or is it a calling, right? Or whatever you're doing. And we'll talk about that here pretty soon, but we got to talk about practice. So what you say about practice here, Mike? Yeah. So, um, and, and real quick, before we get to practice, I just want to say, yeah. uh, but you mentioned like what you sell, right. And I think that's a good way to, uh, kind of, uh, develop that idea of finding a passion, even in reselling, right? Like you might start out reselling and you're selling, uh, used electronics because that was what you could find. And there was money in that, but you find out you don't like it and you discover, you know what, I really, really love selling toys, or I really, really love selling vintage, uh, instruments, right? Like whatever it is. So play with different niches until you find that one that you're like, you know what, this is something I actually enjoy. So yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so, uh, practice. So uh, I really enjoyed this chapter. Um, see, she says that, um, she's kind of explaining that when you're in a job, you're in a career, you're in a hobby, whatever it is, uh, that there is, uh, a difference between types of practice. She, a lot of this book kind of goes back to this uh, big research she did with um, National Spelling Bee of young, the young kids who were, were in this big National Spelling Bee and kind of trying to predict who would win this Spelling Bee based off of uh, their grit level and, and how much practice they did and all of those things. So 
um, one of the, the ideas she had in there was the students or the kids who had the most practice or practice the most were going to more likely win. They tended to be the grittier kids. Uh, but there was a difference of type of practice too. And in the very beginning of this chapter, she uh, mentioned this idea of um, there's some people who work really hard at something and they're always trying to improve. And there's some people who do things for a long time and they're never actually improving. Uh, she kind of jokes that says some people get 20 years of experience while others get one year of experience 20 times in a row. Right. Like there's oh, those I people who so good. <laughs> I mean, it's great, right? Because there are people who who start something and they're constantly trying to get better. And she gives another example that I thought was very practical uh, of somebody who was a runner, somebody who had uh, clocked in thousands and thousands of hours of running. And the runner guy said, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near being like an Olympic runner. Whereas somebody who's run probably similar number of hours as him uh, might actually be close to the Olympics. And the difference is not just time and practice, but what she calls deliberate practice. And so deliberate practice is a intentional because we've all heard and she talks about like the 10,000 hour rule, right? You've got to do something for 10,000 hours, like the Beatles, they played 10,000 hours before they got like great. Or, you know, we hear that 10,000 hour rule or the 10 year rule, and you can do something for 10,000 hours and never really improve exponentially. Um, but the yeah. difference between the person who runs thousands of hours and they are doing it and she said, well, why are you running? And his answer was, well, you know, I want to, I want to fit into my jeans and I do it for health reasons, but I've seen the people like I've, I've followed fitness people and like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to run a, a half marathon. And so like, I'm following this thing and you see that there's people who they're literally, they go on a run and they're like, okay, well, what if I change my cadence to this? And I'm going to try and get to this distance in this time. And I'm going to change my diet from, uh, 36% carbs to, to 42% carbs on my recovery. I mean, Every single thing they're doing, they're trying to find ways to improve and they want criticism. They want feedback and they want their coaches to tell them, Hey, your stride is a little bit too long here. Uh, you're messing up and that they're looking for that. And then they're like, all right. And they're going to spend countless hours working on fixing the most minute little thing, as opposed to the person who's putting in just as much time, but they're not deliberately intentionally trying to improve. And I think we could do that with our businesses, right? We can easily, and there's been times in, in my own reselling where that's basically what it's been is like, all right, go to the store, buy some stuff, take some pictures, uh, the item sell, go to the office, pack it up, send it out. As opposed to how can I, how much money have I spent on shipping supplies uh, this month? How can I reduce shipping costs in order to increase my net profit? What are some strategies I can do? What if I use different vendors and, and, and actually deliberately working on bringing down costs and, and increasing profit as opposed to kind of just going through the motions and being okay with where things are at. And there's a big difference between the most successful people, the people who have the, 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 the charts and they're, they're tracking everything and they're really trying to improve. Maybe it's just qualities of pictures. What if I change the lighting? What if I use a different camera? What if I change my, I mean, you do, you're, you talk a lot about titles, right? Like what if I try different words, right? And they're really thinking as opposed to that, eh, this is good enough. Now, let me let me rewind a little bit. No, I agree with you. I mean, all of that is true. And so I want to go back to that quote because I think that quote is really powerful in the reselling community. And I want to talk, talk about why for a moment. And I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm not trying to cause controversy, but let me read it one more time. Do you know so? Do you know anyone who's been doing something for a long time, maybe their entire professional lives, yet the best you can say of their skill is that they're pretty much okay and not bad enough to fire? As a colleague of mine likes to joke, some people get 20 years of experience while others get one year of experience 20 times in a row. And, you know, I, I throw this out there. 
you know, and I'll be completely transparent. There was a time in reselling, I would say probably my first year reselling, I didn't grow at all. My second year reselling, probably halfway, I didn't grow at all. Now I feel like I've grown. I've, I understand a lot more of what I'm doing. But, you know, you hear people all the time say, well, I know more than da 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 because I've been doing this for 10 years. And I, I'm telling you, it is not a sign of, of success. Right. And it it applies to various. I mean, there is something to be said about experience and knowing things, but experience alone may be that same experience. Like it says 20 times. Right. So you keep doing the same thing. You keep selling the same stuff. You keep trying to scale the same way. You're using the same platform the same way. You're sourcing the same. You're doing you're not adapting. And you might, you know, find yourself across with a YouTuber or Instagram influencer or someone and it could even be us. <laughs> it's not us though, but I'm just throwing it out there that, you know, we could be doing the same thing, just spinning our wheels. Right. And, and sometimes that works. I mean, maybe it works for people that have new resellers that show up, right? Because if you're new, right, the same old, same old keeps same message is the same, right? Buy low, sell high, but consistently, you know, ship quickly, you know, have nice ROI. It's the same old message, right? But if you want to grow, right, you you also got to you got to find yourself in a place where like, hey, as you're growing your business, how is it different than the year before? And that's what she talks about deliberate practice, right? Later on, the idea of focusing on like, hey, not, not in a negative way saying, hey, I had a good year, but this year is going to be better. And I think in reselling, every year should be better. You might have a year that's backwards. That's OK. I mean, I had one year that wasn't the greatest of years, but every year should be should be better in any. I think in any kind of business, I, whether it is reselling, whether it is teaching, whether it is, you know, running a catering service or, you know, whatever it is, you you have to find those weaknesses. You have to make them better. Right. And so what I like here, too, though, is they talk about the fact that you do reach a plateau kind of it's not a plateau, but you slightly improve, right? So you might know somebody that has, you know, improved like crazy and, and gone to the next level, but that they kind of, they're done, right? And it's not that they're done. It's just the next leap is going to take a little bit longer uh, than normal, right? So anyways, your thoughts? Yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, there's there, there tends to be a graph of improvement. Uh, and over time, the amount of, um, like, like what they say about an expert is an expert who knows more and more about less and less, right? Like it yeah, becomes more and more difficult. Yeah. yeah. It becomes more and more difficult. I mean, one thing that I I'm familiar with is like nutrition and fitness and people who are, are like natural bodybuilders, for instance, um, the first year of, of natural bodybuilding, weightlifting, you might gain like 15 pounds of muscle. If you've got really good genetics and do everything perfectly, the next year you might gain like six or seven pounds of muscle. The next year it's like, three pounds of muscle. And then after that, you're looking at like an entire year of work and you're gaining like one pound of muscle, right? Like there's a, a sharp increase at the beginning and then you're fighting for every little bit after that. And it's very, very difficult, but it's that constant work, that constant discipline over a lifetime, right? Which is why she said in the beginning, first you discover, then you, then you develop and then you deepen over a lifetime. Right. And so, um, those skills, like maybe it's reselling and, and that is your lifetime goal is, is just to have this reselling business, but maybe it's to develop business skills, right? You're developing communication skills. You're developing your ability to manage a team. You're developing all of these things that, that over time 
are going to be applicable to any job or any field you go into or other future businesses that you start. Uh, one of the things that um, I did like about this, and this goes back to uh, one of your original questions to me, was the idea of discipline and practice. And um, one of the uh, insights that was made in here, and there's actually kind of a debate between two people that she discusses, but one of the insights that was made is how much effort that the world-class people, how much deliberate practice they put into what it is they're doing. Uh, and she says that once those people finally leave that like profession, like they've, they've, they're retiring or they've like, they're an Olympian, they've made it, they got their golds. And now they're, they're, they're not going to be competing at that level anymore. They're still a swimmer. They're still a runner, whatever it is, their, their practice, their deliberate practice schedule gets shrunk a lot. She says, and finally world-class performers who retire tend not to keep up nearly the same deliberate practice schedule. If practice was intrinsically pleasurable, enjoyable for its own sake, you'd expect them to keep doing it. Right. So people, they, she multiple times throughout this chapter, she discusses that, that people don't always find the practice itself to be something that like, I love, you know, getting up and swimming every morning for all this, or I love getting up and making all those cold calls to clients, or I love whatever the thing is, but they know that doing that consistently over time is what's going to bring them to success in the thing that they're passionate about, right? So they might be passionate about being uh, a successful businessman. The little things that they have to practice over and over and over aren't what they're passionate about. They're not passionate about every email. They're not passionate, but those things, those the discipline they put in to get there is what's important. And yeah, she goes on I, to say, what? she goes on to say, um, researchers who studied the development of talents have concluded. Uh, that to learn any complex skill well takes uh, about 10,000 hours of practice and the practice can be very boring and unpleasant, right? So knowing that that the every grind, all the things you're doing to get to that place might not be enjoyable, but because you're passionate about the end goal. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey everyone, ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting a scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Cellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Cellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Cellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code, all in caps, PureHustle25. That's the numbers, 25. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code PureHustle25. You, 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 you grind through it, even though those moments might be unenjoyable. But I think the other side she was presenting was the, the ideas of a flow. Right. The place where you end up, you know, I'll read it here says uh, the signature experience of experts in flow is a state of complete concentration that leads to a feeling of spontaneity. Flow is performing at high levels of challenging and feeling effortless. Like you don't have to think about it. You're just doing it. And that's a great debate. So I'm, I'm on the other end of that. I think if it's something that you're interested in, something you're passionate about, I think flow happens. Like you have complete concentration. It doesn't phase you. You might not be be happy about, you know, what's taking place, but it, it's it's not a drudgery where I think to me, it sounds like the other side of it is you have to be willing to deal with the drudgery and, and you know, the, the horrible feelings. Now, I think there's a I think there's a happy medium, though. I think well, you know, she, she 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 lands on a happy medium. She actually she comes to the place where she takes those two and she marries them together. And she says, 
Gritty people do more deliberate practice and experience more flow, right? And she kind of says that the, oh, the practice, right. the, pra- the practice is deliberate, but the performance is the flow, right? So, for instance, she gives example of like all of the work she put into the TED talk that she gave, and how miserable and how much work she put in, how it was kind of daunting task, but then the performance itself allowed her to flow. And I, I find this. I have a friend who's a really good musician. And I mean, when he's like messing around on his guitar, the things he can do, like he'll just be talking next, thing you know, he's like doing some crazy jazz thing or like he could play, like he, he has so much freedom on the guitar. It, it blows my mind. But then he's like, yeah, I can only do this. I can only express my emotions through, through music because I spent hours and hours and hours going through scales that had no emotion to them at all. It was just, but once I knew the scales that gave me the freedom to experience the flow. And so it's it's that deliberate discipline that gives you the freedom to experience those moments of flow. Uh, so I think those two things marry together, and I, yeah, I don't think that they 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 come uh, against each other. But I, I would, I mean, I would even say for you, I mean, is is every aspect like when you have to get up and and is every box you ship? I mean, there's times when you're here at the office uh, and you're like, I've got to go ship this box, right? Yeah. But you, yeah. it's the discipline of getting those boxes out, shipped out on time that makes you a great seller, which makes your business great, which makes you a good businessman, right? And that's the end goal is you want to, you want to have a successful business with happy customers. And so you do the discipline things of like, I'm not going to let this package go out late, even though going to the, the, the storage unit and finding the item and then packing it and shipping it isn't exciting. So those moments aren't exciting, but I like the drive. I'm sure. <laughs> all right. No, I no, no, enjoy I, it all then. No, no, it, it's only like a, a two minute drive, but it's kind of nice. But I will say, though, it, that is true in the sense, like even today, today I sourced, let's see, from 7 a.m. until right before we started recording this podcast. So about, you know, it's about seven. So about 12 hours. And I only netted, you know, I was looking for one item. I only found a handful. Now, that was brutal. But tomorrow when I go and I spend 14 hours sourcing, I know it's Q4. Okay. I don't normally source this long. I've already knocked out a lot of places not to go to. And so it is going to be free flow because eventually when I start hitting that stride, all the, all the terribleness that I went through today <laughs> is going to pay off the next day. Right. So yeah, you're right. I hate it. I did not. Today was not enjoyable. It was not. I, I'll say it was not enjoyable. But the sales a week from now, when I find those items and things come through and I can, I can, I can focus and I know what I'm doing is definitely, I don't know if that made sense, but I, I understand in the sense that like, like you said, in reselling, it speaks to us because yeah, there's a lot of things we don't, I don't think there's anybody that likes every aspect of reselling. Right. And if there is, bang, hats, hats to you. But you know, I, I like right now I hate eBay shipping because I'm doing Amazon. So I'm not a fan of FBA shipping, but man, when I can look on my screen and see, you know, hundreds of dollars, thousand dollars made in a day, and I haven't had to pack any of them, you know, I also got to remember that a month ago I was packing boxes galore and I'm still packing boxes galore. But with eBay, yeah, you're happy to get all those sales, but you're not happy to put in all the work of packing and shipping them. So I get that. So now, um, so I really, I like this. What about the feedback part? Do you find that feedback is hard to get? I mean, she mentioned the deliberate practice, actually getting feedback, feedback that actually focuses on the negative 
not not to be negative, but focus on the negative part of what you're doing instead of praising you all the time to get better. And that that's the one that's difficult because it's very hard to find people that are willing to be transparent with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. She does say, she says, as soon as possible, experts hungrily seek feedback on how they did. Um, and necessarily much of that feedback is negative. That means experts are more interested in what they did wrong so they can fix it than what they did right. The active processing of this feedback is essential as it is um, uh, immediacy. So look at this. Like I hate feedback in a lot of ways, right? Like I know, I know I'm not like uh, the, 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 the beacon of grit, right? I'm not like saying like, Hey, I'm the grit expert, like follow Mike. I'm like, if you want to be gritty, be Mike, you know, not at all, because I know that there's a lot of areas later in the book, she talks about um, optimist versus pessimist. And I, I definitely tend more towards the pessimistic scale and getting feedback is one of those things. Like for instance, with teaching, I know what I do is, is, is good. I'm a good teacher. Um, I think in a lot of ways, I'm a great teacher. Uh, but then there's some people who come and I, I don't want their feedback at all. Like there's a few people from my district who they'll occasionally like provide feedback. And um, I, I don't typically or necessarily respect what it is they're saying, because I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing it fine. I don't need your feedback because I don't want to teach your style. But if I was the top tier expert teacher, I would be wanting somebody in my room every moment to scrutinize everything that I'm doing that I can improve little bits here and there, here and there, but I'm okay with, I think I'm, I'm really good. Um, I don't need to be the, uh, the, the teacher that people write books about, but that's because I'm passionate about it, but I'm not so passionate that my life hundred percent revolves around it. And I think that that's what separates the people who end up at the top of business, right? Not everybody. And I think a lot of times we think that like, cause she uses Jeff Bezos as an example, uh, in earlier in the, in the book, a lot of people look at the most successful people and they think like we could all be that successful. And it's true that if we all put in the same amount of work and have the same kind of drive, but I don't think that that's common. It's an uncommon, like we, when we did the David Goggins book, right? Like there are individuals who have an uncommon, just relentless desire to have be at the top of whatever it is that they want to be at. And those people sacrifice a whole lot to get there. But a big part of what they're sacrificing or what they have to go through is that feedback, right? Receiving that feedback, a lot of it has to be negative. And for me, just that constant negative feedback, um, because I'm not looking at it like I want to improve every little thing, I would just take it negatively. Be like, man, I must be terrible, right? Yeah, but I, I think a huge part is, is do you respect the person that's giving you feedback? Yeah, that, that, right. that's part I, of it. Yeah. I, oh, I think, that, I think that's massive. I think that's huge. I mean, I, I, there's people that... I want it in my room all the time when I was a teacher. Uh, there's people in the reselling community that if they give me feedback, I'll listen to it. There's a lot of people that if they give me feedback, I'm like, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, I appreciate that. Uh, because, and we got to be aware of that because sometimes it's not that the feedback is bad. It's just that we have a problem with, and it's, it's a respect issue. It's, you know, I, I, I traded carefully when I went to classrooms of teachers that I knew were great. And I would, you know, I would comment negatively about things, but I was really careful about that because sometimes it's just a preference thing, right? Actually, that person probably is doing a better job than I ever did. I just didn't know it because I'm not at their level, right? And so I think humility plays a part. I think being being able to, to understand that 
there, there's different tiers of, of, of feedback when it comes to people, right? Some people, you take the feedback and you see it as a, okay, I'll think about it. And those people that really know, again, these masters here, whether it be violinists, soccer players, whatever it is, like they're going to listen to people that are better than them. They're not going to listen to people that are at the, even, even at the same level. I mean, it's good to get feedback, but you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things when you were in school, if you ever did peer editing with papers, right? I always, and this is not an education podcast, but I hate peer editing. And the reason I hate peer editing with students is like, unless you have a good student peer editing a, a student that's less than them, they're not, no one's going to get good feedback. No one's going to get feedback. And in the end, it's all going to be a huge mess. And so I'm always a fan of like, there, there has to be an unequal playing field of feedback from somebody that's better at something than somebody that is an equal at something. But that's the side. I don't even think she talks about that in here. But anyways, I thought I'd bring that up. So, uh, but let, let's talk about, per, uh, before we jump into purpose, though, I need to talk about the fact that today was a long day. And I didn't even get to shave until before the podcast. And I used our nifty pro platinum skull shaver. Yeah. And I was ready to and I'm ready to go. So in case you're wondering, this is our quick sponsor here that we're, we're dropping. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to take a look at Skull Shaver, go to SkullShaver.com. And it's that time for gifts. So maybe there's somebody, some loved one out there that you want to just say, hey, maybe it's time to have that fresh and clean dome. Or, or maybe it's someone that's been nicking their head all day and you're like, here's the perfect solution. So uh, Skull Shaver has been great. It allowed me to get cleaned up for the podcast. And so if you go to SkullShaver.com, and use our promo code. What's the promo code, Mike? Promo code is pure, P-U-R-E. And yeah, Skull Shaver is great. Uh, you've got to get it. I, I, I've been telling all my friends to get them. So you've got to get a Skull Shaver uh, if, if you use any kind of shaving product like that. And uh, yeah, you won't regret it. Trust me. You'll say thank you, Pure Hustle Podcast. I used promo code pure and it changed my Actually, life. People have been DMing us. Nice. Like showing us their domes. Nice. I'm like, welcome to the club. So, anyways, check it. (laughs) Well, I promised the last person that commented that we keep this under 10 minutes. So, by the way, if you have not yet uh, taken a look at skullshaver.com and use a promo code PURE. And by the way, if you haven't been following us on social media, make sure to do so. We are Pure Talk Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Apologize for the TikTok. We've been kind of kind of off a little bit on the TikTok. It's been a busy time, man. Take TikTok takes some time. So also we are on what are oh we are on Twitter. How can I forget Twitter? We're at a thousand, I think we're at a thousand forty followers and it keeps growing. So Pure Hustle Cast over on Twitter. Uh, we also are on YouTube. So if you want to check out the video, see what we're talking about. You can check us out over there. Make sure to hit subscribe and hit that notification button. You can always give us a call, 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. Or shoot us an email at purespodcast at gmail.com. That is purespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we are grateful for the reviews on iTunes. There's a few I want to read, but because of time, I want to wait until our update episode because there are people are like, I think they're like outlining the, the review, like proofreading it because they are they're legit reviews. So thank you, all of you. Our goal is to be at 400 by the end of the year. We're slowly getting there. So if you could just go on iTunes and drop a review, that'd be grateful. And last of all, if you want to say thank you in a monetary way and sign up for our membership, it is Pure Soul. <laughs> I almost said Pure Soul Coffee. 
It is buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle. That's buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle. Link is below or link is in our bio. You can sign up for a membership, take care of your whole year's membership all at once, or just do a one-time gift, whatever, whatever way you find it. We are grateful for it because it definitely helps us, especially when, you know, we're ebbing and flowing between sponsors and so on. It helps continue providing content for free to all of our audience. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about purpose. All right. So the next two chapters, purpose and hope, I thought were uh, really good. And, um, you know, I, in a lot of ways, kind of self-explanatory, but it's one of those things where it, uh, it it's encouraging. And, and I'll say it again, I've said it a million times, but most people don't need to learn new things. They just need to be reminded of what they already know. Right. And I think we can all, we all intrinsically know that doing something for a purpose is going to, to be more important than um, if you don't feel like you have a purpose, if you don't feel like your job has purpose, if you don't feel like your life has purpose. And um, she gives a great example and you kind of uh, alluded to it in the beginning, uh, but there was a parable of um, the bricklayers. And hopefully I'm not stealing your thunder by, by doing it right away, but uh, she gives a more to say. Uh, so she gives this parable, um, and it's a very popular one, but it's a three, three bricklayers are asked, what are you doing? The first says I'm laying bricks. The second says I'm building a church. And the third says I'm building the house of God. Right. And so the, the difference is the perspective, right? Each one of them is kind of doing the same actual job. They're each doing the same physical thing, putting a brick down, but their, their perspective and their intentionality behind what they're doing is different, right? And each one, uh, she kind of gives an example. The first one has got a job, right? I'm just putting bricks down. The second one has a career, right? I'm, I'm doing something that's a little bit bigger than a job, but it's not like, it's not mm-hmm. the greatest thing ever. And then the last one is a calling. And that is an example of my work is one of the most important things in my life. And I, I really like this because um, the, the idea of having a purpose really does make a huge difference because she explains that, uh, people do things for two reasons, right? Uh, pleasure and purpose, right? Are kind of those two things. And we have like hedonists and people who do things like for altruistic reasons or for, for kind of the greater good. And a lot of times people see these two things as separate, right? Like you're either, you either do things selfishly or you do things selflessly. But the argument she makes in this chapter is actually people who do things that they feel like they have purpose behind it. There's a portion of what they're doing that's for themselves. And then there's another portion that's for the greater good. And if you have those two things married together, it's actually um, the most beneficial that the people who are just doing things for pleasure, uh, they're, they're less happy. The people who are uh, doing things for, for a, a certain amount of self-pleasure, uh, but they're also doing it to help others to do things to, to make the world better. And they see their job that way. It makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I, I think it's the why, right? It's it ultimately is the why. Now the why can come in many forms. Like at first I started reading this and I thought she was just mentioning about being altruistic, like, you know, giving a charity or, you know, going out there and like, you know, I don't know, joining a, a traveling group that, you know, provides medical services throughout the world, whatever it is, but it can mean a multiple, you know, multiple kind of, and not, not multiple, it can, it can mean many things, right? And so, you know, she starts off in the chapter, she says, most people first become attracted to things they enjoy, right? We talked about that with interest and only later appreciate how these personal interests might also benefit others. And I think about reselling, right? Reselling, I initially enjoyed, I love doing it. And now we do the podcast and podcast is helping me enjoy reselling more, 
right? Because we've been able to help a lot of people, right? Inadvertently, like not that we're gurus, not that we, you know, have anything special about us. It's the fact that just us documenting our process, you know, we get a lot of messages from many of you saying, hey, you helped us, you know, go full time or, you know, you helped us, you know, pay the bills. I lost my job, whatever it may be. And so now, you know, I have even more purpose in reselling because I see it as as I'm learning, I like coming back and recording on the podcast saying, hey, this is what I learned. This is where I failed. And hopefully it helps others. Right. And so I definitely think that purpose is a big deal. Now, I also think about myself uh, in the sense that, you know, reselling has allowed me uh, to have a better standard of living uh, for for my kids in the sense that before when I was in education, uh, there was only so many options. Now, is it possible I could have been reselling and doing education at the same time? Probably, uh, but I, I didn't feel like I was I was doing justice uh, on the education side. Uh, just there's a lot tied into all that, but uh, I didn't feel like I could have reselling and education happening at the same time if I was trying to do. And you know, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast that. One of the reasons, not not the ultimate reason I went full time, but one of the reasons I went full time was because of the podcast. I felt that I could not devote the time of social media or recording the podcast had I been still if, if I was if we were both teaching right now, we'd probably be dropping half an episode a week. I don't need right. you know what I mean? Like our schedules, were, our schedules are crazy now, but they were even crazier before. And so I find that, you know she's hundred percent right in the fact that reselling or whatever you're doing, if it's something that you truly want to enjoy, you want to persevere, you want to be successful. I think it has to be connected to more than just making money. I don't know. Is that true though? I, I struggled with that. Like, can you, can you be successful if all you're doing is chasing that dollar? Is that, is that possible? And for how long? I don't know. It if depends on Again, it depends on the perspective, right? So one of the things I like, and one of, I don't even want to say it's pushback. So I don't say she like implicitly is advocating this, but I think some people will take, you know, it out of her book. Uh, but the idea that like, you have to, you have to absolutely enjoy what you do. And I think, I mean, I, I do think she kind of says that, uh, but here's one of the things that I found was interesting, right? And I think reselling is a, a good, like kind of similar story to this. So she explains, uh, Aurora and Franco Fonte are Australian entrepreneurs whose facility services company has hmm. 2,500 employees and generates more than $130 million in annual revenue. So a facility service uh, company would be an, a nice way of saying what a lot of people would just call janitors, right? Like the, all they're doing is, is cleaning bathrooms. And what was interesting is the, this couple, when they started this company, they had a, aspirations. They had, a, a, they wanted to create like a food chain. They wanted to create, you know, a restaurant business. And in order to pay off bills, in order to, to kind of make it through and, and get debt paid off and all of that stuff, they started cleaning buildings. They started husband and wife. They had kids. They're working 80 hours a week, it said, each, right? Like they're putting in tons of effort. And at the end, they were kind of asked, uh, she says, I confess to Aurora and Franco that it was hard for me to imagine how cleaning bathrooms or even buildings, uh, building a multi-dollar corporation that cleans bathrooms could feel like a calling, right? Because that was the thing. It's like they had discovered that this was their calling, that this was a purpose for them. And this was her response. She said, it's not about the cleaning, Aurora explained, her voice tightening with emotion. It's about building something. It's about our clients and solving their problems. Most of all, it's about the incredible people we employ. They have the biggest souls and we feel a huge responsibility towards them. Right? So 
the thing itself, like I'm sure when they're like scrubbing a toilet or when they started their company scrubbing a toilet, like they weren't like, I'm so passionate about scrubbing a toilet. Right. So like for me, my thought process is, um, the passion and the purpose and the calling could be bigger than the individual task you're doing. You might feel like the individual task you're doing, tightening this bolt on this car, uh, in the factory that you're sending out the door, right? Like that might not be what you're passionate about, but watching and saying, I'm creating a car that people are going to be able to improve their lives on, or I've built a business that is employing, uh, 2,500 people. I'm, I'm making 2,500 people. I'm giving them a life. I'm helping them feed their families. That becomes a purpose that becomes the calling. And so I think of, of reselling could be like that for a lot of people that it's as they're packaging the thing, it's not like I'm passionate about this, but they might be passionate about feeding their family and providing their family, like you said, a better life. And so the, the individual task you're, 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 you're doing doesn't have to be where your passion is, but your calling might be, I want to like, for me, the big thing that I've been really thinking a lot about over the last few months, it's been like really big on my mind. I've read a few books on it. It's been interesting is the idea of productive property. And as opposed to being a wage earner, like wage earners in a lot of ways, you're kind of like a servant to whatever company you're working for. Whereas productive property is it's your own property that's making money, right? Whether it's stocks, whether it's you're a farmer, whether it's your reseller, right? Like your business and you have say over, which actually provides you freedom in your life in so many ways. And um, to me, I think I'm, I'm passionate about family and families having productive property because it frees them in ways that being a wage earner doesn't. And so is it the packing the box that I'm passionate about? No, but it's the fact that this here is a, is an endeavor that I'm doing with my family that's bringing us together and providing us a level of freedom that I wouldn't be able to get in any, any other way. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a great exercise to use that bricklayer analogy in the sense of trying to figure out where you land when it comes to reselling or anything that you're doing. I, You say it's common. I, this is the first time I've ever heard of it in my life. I mean, I've read the book before, but I, even then, I, you know, I have, a, I have selective memory about what I remember. <laughs> and so, but I looked at this and I thought, okay, Reselling to me is more of, and uh, you know, hopefully we don't lose anybody here. <laughs> it's more of a career for me. It's more of a, hey, I view my job primarily as a stepping stone to other jobs. Now, what I mean by that is I love reselling. I love what I'm doing, but I don't know about the permanency of it. Like if this is something I'm doing forever. Now, calling, that's different. Like I, I, I to me, you know, and you and I have gone back and forth. Like I, I've told you, how passionate I am about the podcast and about helping people out here in, in the sense that I, I find that for this stage in life right now, my, my, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Pure as a podcast, helping out people. So I'm, to me, it's more of a calling where the reselling is a career. And so I'm able to separate the two, right? That's why I, it's, it's as strange as it sounds, right? I look more forward to recording the podcast with you than I do, possibly even going to garage sales, even going, you know, sourcing or even, you know, because in the end, it means, it means a lot more. So I think you have to find where you're at. And then, then you're able to kind of navigate what is the best way to approach it in your life, right? What is, what is a priority to you? 
right? If if reselling isn't is 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 a job, it's just a necessity for life. Okay, so maybe cut down that time so the thing that is the career, the thing that is that calling, dominates your time instead of reselling because you can't let things get away, and you're giving the amount of time you should be giving a job that you should be giving a sense you're calling what you're passionate about. Right. And so I, I say that all the time because, you know, a lot of people hit us up in the DMS and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm just reselling because, because I've been trying to start this other business or I'm trying to get into real estate or, you know, I'm look, I mean, I, we have some people that are actors and in, in, you know, in our following that they're, they're in Hollywood trying to get work and they're like, and I'm kind of shocked because they hit us up. And, you know, I think that every single actor has like movie deals and, and show, but they don't like, well, I, I'm ignorant, but a lot of them don't. And so a lot of you listen to us and you hit us up and you're like, Hey, by the way, appreciate the content you share because I'm trying to find work. I'm trying to find work, but in the meanwhile, recently is taking care of it. So some people understand that. And I think it, it would, I don't want to use the word behoove, but it's probably the right word here. It would behoove you to look and go, Hey, am I doing this as a job? as a career or is it a calling? I think you'll be able to move forward in your grit uh, to achieve the goal that you're trying to move towards. Good. Now I, I like what, what the, the CEO said here and, and going back, you know, I will tell you that janitor story that was impressive to me because I, I never thought of it that way. You know what I mean? Like I, and I guess to be transparent, like I usually think of, when you deal with people, it's a lot easier to feel like something's a calling, right? Which they were working with people, but I didn't think about that. I thought about them just cleaning bathrooms. I didn't think about the fact that there are people, right? Because, you know, late night janitorial work is in the off hours and no one's around, but it's making a big impact when people show up in the morning. So I, I thought that was interesting, but you know, Again, this is what the uh, CEO, your, the CEO said, oh, not CEO, so this is what Angela Duckworth says about a CEO says a calling is not some fully formed thing that you find. She tells advice seekers it's much more dynamic. Whatever you do, whether you're a janitor or the CEO, you can continually look at what you do and ask how it connects to other people, how it connects to the bigger picture, how it can be an expression of your deepest values. And so where you're at, I believe that, you know, the author here is saying, hey, you're able to turn something into a calling if you're able to figure out those parts. Yep. No, it's good. And, and again, too, even just looking at, um, you, you're lucky. And again, like, I, I think that it's ideal for you to love what you do and to be able to get paid a lot of money to do it, right? <clears throat> to be able to, to take care of all of your responsibilities and to enjoy the thing you're doing, right? So if you love hiking <clears throat> and you're able to find a way to capitalize on that and actually make money where you like take people on hikes and show them nature and, and, and that's how you can support your family and take care of your responsibilities, then that's the ideal. That's what everybody should be striving for. But there's also a place where your responsibilities and your your hobbies might conflict, right? Like, I love playing board games, but I'm probably not going to make a living doing that. There's probably ways I could figure out how to do it, but but it might be really, really difficult. And a lot of people aren't doing that. And what they hear when they hear follow your pa passion and make your passion your purpose is they end up almost blindly doing something that they think it, they just, they're looking for that hedonism. They're looking to be happy, but they're not taking the care of their responsibilities. Where I think one of the beautiful things about, like she said, even being the janitor of a company, if you see it as your calling and part of your calling might be, I'm, I'm doing the 
the work that I'm doing, these values that I'm holding are, are making other people's lives better. And I'm taking care of my responsibilities. My kids are fed. I am paying my bills. I'm a good citizen in, in, in my country or whatever the, the things are that your values that you hold important. Maybe it's religious values, right? Like I'm doing vocation is important in my religious belief and, and I'm, I'm working, you know, to God or whatever the, your beliefs are, that thing can make something that seems insignificant all of a sudden, uh, ha- be a calling, right? The, the job that you're in. And so I guess my encouragement is, Yes, you could probably make a living doing anything if you're crafty enough about it, but usually it's not the thing itself that you love, right? Like people who love playing uh, certain types of games or doing certain things, uh, they love the game itself, but if they want to make a living doing it, they have to like teach other people how to do it. They might not be passionate about teaching, they're passionate about playing. And so um, it's don't just do what makes you happy, but try to find something that makes you happy. And no matter what you're doing, try and see if you can find a way to at least have the perspective of, am I just laying a brick or am I doing something bigger? Can I connect this to my deeper inner values? And if you absolutely can't, if you abhor what you're doing, if you think that what you're doing is actually antithetical to your values, then you should probably stop doing that thing and find something else. If if it's antithetical to everything you stand for, probably a good call to stop. Not sure how you would end up there, but probably... (laughs) So now that now kind of your language there does go into our next chapter of hope though. Right? Because I think you and I I think you and I are are, are different in this. Or do you disagree? I don't know. I, I'm super optimistic to a fault. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's because <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I've gone I've gone through a lot of my life. And so I think part of that is um I've seen a lot of people persevere through things. Um but you know I don't know why we are the way we are. I, you know, that, that, that I always struggle with, but I I do like what she, you know, obviously I like what she says because I'm optimistic, but, but she, she pushes the line here about the idea that, um, like like give you an example. Those of you that haven't read the book and you're just following along. She gives an example about teachers that go for teach for America. Now I almost did teach for America. So teach for America is a program where, they they pick the top teacher. I don't know even know if it's top teachers anymore. I think if you apply and you meet certain criteria, uh, and you get you basically are shipped off to like the worst uh, schools in the country. You know, riddled with all kinds of issues. Uh, you know, violence. You know, um, bad funding. Just just bad scenarios. And she did a study again. Everything we're talking about here, it's not just Angela Duckworth's just thoughts from her mind. It's actually research data that formulated what she's talking about in this book. So understand that, that we're not just sharing her opinion. We're sharing the facts that she came up with in through scientific research. And she found out that the teachers that were optimistic in these scenarios in these very bad classroom situations, she says, just as we'd expect, optimistic teachers were grittier and happier and grit and happiness in turn explain why optimistic teachers got their students to achieve more during the school year. And, and I, I find that I find that to be true in, in, in many ways. Uh, and I'm not just talking about an education. I think, I think part of grit and part of reaching the next level, part of success. And again, not that I, I haven't achieved any kind of levels of success in comparison to very successful people. But I, I think part of the reason that a lot of people do make, and I've seen it myself, I've seen people make it far better than I have. It's because they were the kind of people that like, no matter what happened, 
no matter what was up against them, instead of them saying, you know, I guess that's the way it is, or I guess things are just not going to be fair, or, you know, I guess this wasn't meant to be, they said, no, 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 no. I still have the opportunity to do this. I just need to switch up the way I'm doing things and adapt. And they're able to persevere and they fail and they get up and they fail and they get up because they're optimistic uh, in comparison to others that may be pessimistic and just say, this just wasn't meant to be. This is just the way society is. I was born like to not be able to be as successful as somebody else. Whatever reasoning you give, uh, I, I think grit is a huge, huge play in this. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think... Um, the idea, cause I'm, I'm more of a pessimist, but it's interesting because maybe there's levels of pessimism. There's like a, a scale potentially. Um, but I, I kind of push back, uh, kind of maybe a little bit of irony here because, uh, they make the claim that, uh, optimists are more successful than pessimists. It's almost a pessimistic look. Like if you're a pessimist, you're not going to be as successful. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm optimistic in the fact that, um, I, I can be pessimistic and still be successful, right? Because my pessimism isn't a self-pessimism that I'm incapable, I'm a victim, I'm not going to be able to overcome, I'm stuck where I'm at. But I look at things, um, I would maybe call myself, I maybe the, 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 I try to call myself more of a realist, but when something, I think something could happen, I'm, I'm assuming the worst, right? The, this thing is going to happen bad, I'm going to face every obstacle that's possible to come. I know I can overcome them, or I can fight through them, or at least I'm going to, you know, die trying to fight through them, but I'm expecting, I'm expecting the world to burn down around me in a lot of ways. Right. Because for me, then when things go well, I'm prepared for the worst. I can just keep going. It's smooth sailing. Whereas I see a lot of people who I think optimism and pessimism kind of, they, they need each other. I think even our podcast has benefited from that. There's, there's things where you're like, let's do this. I'm like, uh, here are the possible problems that could happen. Right. And then through that, you encourage me to do some things that I might not be comfortable doing. And I sometimes maybe put the brakes on things that might be like not the greatest. Right. So like you need both. And I think, I think there is a level and and I think where she's really getting at with the idea of a pessimist is with the fixed mindset. And I would say um, the uh, Carol Dweck's uh, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. uh, the, The growth mindset is basically failure is a good thing because it lets you keep going. You're not stuck. Whereas people in a fixed mindset, and she gives a, a phrase here I thought was really good. Is like, uh, I don't remember the exact, is like fragile. Um, do you remember what it was like fragile? Uh, I, I'm trying to remember it too. I'll, I'll keep looking while you're talking. So, so basically the idea is like people who are successful, like talented, uh, they can actually be almost fragile in the sense of because everything is so easy for them, they refuse to do things that are hard because failure comes as like a huge destructive thing to them. They always get A's, so they're not willing to try to do something a little more challenging because if they get a, a B on something, it'll destroy their self-esteem. Whereas somebody who's got a growth mindset, um, they're not that fragile and they're willing to say, you know what? I got to see on this. What can I do better? How can I improve? Or, Hey, I lost a bunch of money on this transaction. What can I learn from this? Where could I have cut my cost? How could I have interacted better with customers? Move on to the next one. Whereas people who are a fixed mindset, they're, they're kind of stuck in, you know what? I'm never going to be able to, to, to do this thing, or I'm afraid of failure. I don't want to fail. So I'm only going to do things I know I'm going to succeed at. And I think we're all guilty of that to an extent where if, if you're kind of like, hey, we need someone to take on this project. If you know you can do the project and you're going to get be successful at it, you're like, I'll do it. But if you're like, oh, that's a hard project. I might not. Everybody thinks I'm great. If I fail at this project, it's going to look bad. So I'm not going to volunteer. Right. And so that fixed mindset is I'm not going to. I don't want to fail. And if I do fail, 
I'm, this is just who I am. I must be a terrible person, right? You know, you're almost a victim in that sense. So um, the growth mindset is the, the feeling of hope of I can grow, I can get better. Oh, I made a mistake. Just like those Olympian runners, right? When they're, when they have a coach telling them like, yeah, your stride is 0.2 centimeters too long each time you're, it, you're losing energy on your, on your push off. They're not like, I'm just going to give up running. They're like, Oh, perfect. How can I, how can I change that? They're looking for their failures so that they can become the best they could possibly be. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, and, you know, just to break it into reseller terms, right. People call it scarcity mindset. Same thing. It's the idea that, you know, some resellers jump into the scene and they say, you know what, everything's saturated. There's no money to be made. It's, it's impossible. You know, I, I'm giving up, right. That is a fixed mindset. Growth mindset would be, it would say, yeah, there may be areas that are oversaturated, but there's definitely a lot of stuff out there to sell. There's people that are making it happen. I can do the same. I just need to, you know, apply myself. I need to learn new things. And this is definitely doable, right? And you and you repeat that process. And that, not just in reselling, but in various aspects, right? Whether you're somebody in college right now, I think college is one of those places that definitely separates fixed mindset and growth mindset. I think the, the people that survive college, uh, especially the, the difficult colleges or the difficult professors, do it because of a growth, growth mindset, because it's very easy in a collegial setting to just say, you know, I, I'm just not going to cut it. Like it's too much work. I'm not going to make it happen. And, and even in businesses, how many people do we know that have started businesses that have, you know, fallen apart, right? Over, I mean, Dave Ramsey, right? We've read his Totally Money Makeover, right? He's, he's gone, well, he's lost, he's been bankrupt twice. He's been a millionaire twice or something, which again, I would love to be a millionaire once, but was a millionaire twice, lost it all, right? But he had that growth mindset, right? And he was able to overcome it and say, hey, how am I going to make things different? So I, I really appreciate that. Now, I do want to, I'm not trying to take a jab, Mike. I do want to bring it back to the point of IQ just real quick because it reinforced what we talked about the last podcast where I was big on IQ can change. And I, and I just threw this out there because I wanted people to understand that like we're so quick to judge individuals and keep a fixed mindset on people. But, you know, on page 192, uh, talk about Carol Dweck's work says when Carol and her collaborators try to convince people that intelligence or any other talent can improve with effort, she starts by explaining the brain. For instance, she recounts a study published in the top scientific journal Nature that tracked adolescent brain development. Many of the adolescents in the study increased their IQ scores from age 14 when the study started to age 18 when it concluded. This fact that IQ scores are not entirely fixed over a person's lifespan usually comes as a surprise. What's more, Carol continues, these same adolescents showed sizable changes in brain structure. Right. And the only reason I want to say that is that we're not an education podcast, okay? but there's a lot of you that, you know, for whatever reason you were going through high school and based on terrible teachers that you had, you have a fixed mindset or you went through college and you gave up in college and you, and you said, you know what? I can't cut it. You know, my teachers were right. My parents were right. Blah, 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 blah. Many of you, you know, you graduated with your undergrad and you've been wanting to get into a master's program, but you know, you know, you've been told like you can't because, you know, you're in a different stage in life. Now you have kids, whatever it is. And there's this fixed mindset and, you know, if you couldn't do it before, why can you do it now? But here's the deal. Like, it's totally doable, right? If IQ can change. Now, in her study, the IQ isn't like monumental. It's not like people went from, you know, average to, what would you call it? Like, they were in Mensa, in the Mensa group. Yeah, Mensa. All right? But 
it's doable, right? The brain's like a muscle. The brain, the more you work it out, the more you're able to do more and move forward. So, you know, it, it's part of this grit, part of having the optimistic look that, yeah, you can. If you want to go back to school, you can make it happen. If you want to go back to college, you want to get your master's, you want to get a second degree, you want to get a, you want to be a reseller with an MBA. It's totally doable. Even if, you know, back in the day, you were told a lot of things, you can definitely make it happen. All right. That's my two second motivational speech. I just read that and I was encouraged again because as an educator, I was very discouraged by the attitude of many administrators I knew personally uh, that just judge students based on their IQ and said, that's it. This is, you need to go to whatever. And I just, I push. I have a reason why I feel the way I feel. So. But it's backed by facts. All right. That's my two cents, Mike. There you go. All right. Let's talk about, let's wrap up the hope talk, though. All right. So, we're, did, did it make sense, though, the, the idea of growth mindset and then having optimistic self talk and then you're able to persevere? Yeah. I think, I mean, that, that, that's a really big part of, I think, moving forward is you've got, even though I say I'm a pessimist, I'm not like a, uh, uh, like, a nihilist in the sense that like, I think, I think like, you're it's, a realist, it's all, Mike. I don't think you're a pessimist. Yeah, I, I think you that, just, that could be. I, I think I, I just, I, I don't want you to, you know, be in, in this self pessimistic view of yourself. I, I think, yeah, no, no, no. I think you're a very encouraging person. I do, but you're real. Like Orlando is, this is why I, I was in administration because I thought about a lot of things, but I didn't do a lot of <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, because I had people that like others that held me down and said, yeah, actually, Orlando, that's a great idea. But here's the here's the dollars and cents. Here's the time allocation. Here's this. Da, da, da. And maybe to a fault. That's why, you know, I was, you know, I had a lot of people that didn't like me and I had a lot of people that love me. But ultimately, I, I, I see that, you know, we're, we're both optimists. We're just optimists in different ways. Yeah, it could be. And I think. I think that's the thing is I have hope. I have like an ultimate hope. I know, I know that that things are going to be okay. I know I'm going to be able to get through whatever I'm going through. I know I'm going to have success. Uh, my success might look different as the years go from what I initially thought. Right. But, um, I, so yeah, self-talk is important, right? Like I've gone through some really hard things. I mean, Orlando, you said the same thing, like there's really hard things that can, that we, I think everybody listening to the podcast, they, they've had things in your life that, yeah. that, nobody would want to trade shoes with you, right? Like if anybody knew, it'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll stick to my life, right? Because your life sounds, you know, you had some hard things. And so um, we we all have that in our life and hope and being able to have that self-talk and the positive, like, you know what? And I think a big part of this is not uh, not having the victim mentality of I'm stuck in this situation. Wrong has been done to me um, or maybe I've done wrong and now I, I have to pay the consequences and you're, you kind of get stuck somewhere. Uh, but rather to say, you know what, I'm going to, like we've said multiple times in the podcast, I'm going to take care of the things I can take care of. I might be in a situation where things are burning down around me, but what are three things I can do? Right. And I'm going to do those things. And, um, I've got hope that it's all going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. Things are going to be great. Like, like, I, I have a feeling things are going to be better than, you know, I, I can even imagine in a lot of ways. So, um, hope is important to have that and to not, and I think hope is, is in a lot of ways, an antidote to the victim mentality to say, you know what, if I work hard enough, and even if I fail 10 times, that might be 10 things I've learned. So that might be that 11th thing. And that's where I think the discipline comes in. I'm just going to keep standing up and I'm going to try the next thing. I'm going to keep standing up and I'm going to try the next thing. And eventually I'm going to catch my break. And I might not be a multimillionaire, 
but I'm going to make it right. And so, um, having that self-talk and not saying like, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to make it. Yeah. If you feel that, if that's actually where you're at, and if that's what, what the definition of pessimism is of, of almost that victim mentality of like, I'll never be able to succeed. I'm never going to be able to, to go beyond this, this limit in my life. Uh, then yeah, you're, you're not going to break through because you have to be aiming at a target if you want to hit it, right? If you, if you're not actively and, and, and intentionally going towards a target and that target's going to change throughout the years, it might change throughout the weeks, but if you're not moving in a direction and actually thinking you can get there, you're going to stagnate. And I'm a firm believer that you're either improving or you're getting worse. There's no real stagnation, right? Like you're either improving or you're getting worse. And if you sit there and you're stuck in, 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 in a, a helpless situation where you feel like I can't do anything, it's terrible. So having that that self-talk, having that motivational speech to yourself and saying, you know what? What's my goal? What can I do? I'm doing it. And and you're gonna you're gonna find more success. And I think the point she's making in this chapter is gritty people are willing to have a little bit of hope, which drives them forward. Agreed. And with that being said, make sure to be real. Be relevant. And be reselling. Ooh.